Welcome to Crime Corner, where we examine all things crime, whether it be on the page, on the screen, on the street, or in the courtroom. You know, I almost had a show where I didn't mess it up at the start, but I actually hit the wrong uh, music button, and we got somebody else's music to start. But if you're still out there, um, I'm glad you're here tonight, because my guest is James Ziskin, the author of the Anthony and McCavity Award-winning Ellie Stone Mysteries. His books have also been finalists for the six well. For the Edgar, the Barry, and the Lefty Awards, a linguist by training, Jim studied Romance languages and literature at the University of Pennsylvania. After completing his graduate degree, he worked in New York as a photo news producer and writer, and then as director of NYU's Casa Italiana. He spent 15 years in the Hollywood post-production industry, running large international operations in the subtitling, localization, and visual effects fields. His international experience includes two years working and studying in France, extensive time in Italy, lucky guy, and more than three years in India. He speaks Italian and French, and uh, Jim grew up in Amsterdam, New York. He now lives in Seattle, and a stone's throw is his sixth Ellie Stone mystery. Welcome, James or Jim Siskin. Hey, Matt. Thank you very much. You know, that bio makes me sound really, really old, I think. (laughs) It's, you know, it of, actually makes you sound accomplished. Right. Oh. We call that accomplished in, in lieu of being okay. old. But um, I think yeah. I'm probably older than you, and I have not accomplished anything. So um, be proud. So yeah. before well, we I get started, could so. you, but, yeah. go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. No, no. I was going to say, uh, uh, as you know, the last five years have been the best, and those are the years I've been, you know, doing the writing. So uh, I mean, yeah. I've written, you know, before, but that, you know. That's when my real writing career kind of happened. So the last five years have been great. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to ask you that. I'm gonna, I might as well go to it right now because of such an accomplished, early, um, you know, part of your life. Why did you choose to write mysteries that will say um, perhaps around the midpoint of life? Well, it's probably because uh, you know I couldn't convince anyone to publish them before. <laughs> I really? Tried. So you were you were um, um, submitting? Oh yeah, uh, but you know there were there were decades that probably went by where I I didn't. Well, maybe not decades, but you know I wrote. Uh, I want, always wanted to be a writer. I started writing uh, when I was about twelve. I wrote a really bad novel, and then in college I wrote a couple of no, uh, novels in grad school, um, and then you know had my started my career and didn't write as many. But then in the early nineties, I I really got into the um, crime fiction. Uh, you know, uh, field, and I was really enjoying reading stuff, and I thought, this is the kind of stuff I want to write. So I wrote a couple of books and got an agent, um, but she couldn't sell them. And then um, the third book that I wrote, she just didn't like. So, mm-hmm. And they were they were better than the, you know, obviously earlier efforts, but they really weren't good enough, and I'm kind of happy in retrospect that nothing happened with them. Um and then, you know, career really got going, and uh, I moved from New York to Los Angeles and just was very busy for like uh, 10, 12 years and didn't write anything. And then, um, you know, I finally decided around 2007 or 2008, you know, to get on my horse and try to try to get make something of, of a writing career before it was too late. And so the Ellie Stone books came out of that. Actually, there was another book that uh, didn't, that, that got me my uh, agent that did not, he has still not sold. And, um, but uh, the next book was the first Ellie Stone book. And then since then, now we've, this, uh, uh, a stone square was the sixth one and uh, the seventh is under contract. 
turn to stone, and that'll be out uh, next June if I can if I can finish it. So, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about a stone's throw? Well, a stone's throw um, is set in the uh, the really uh, amazing small little uh, picturesque town of Saratoga Springs, New York, which is near uh, Albany. It's about thirty miles from Albany. Um, you remember Albany, right? Yep, you won sure the uh, Anthony Award in Albany, didn't you? No, I didn't. Actually, was, no, I, won you must, I won it in Long Beach, oh, but you I do won remember it in, Albany. In, in Long Beach, yeah. Yeah. But thanks for bringing that, that up. It was a year later. Yeah. <laughs> I was there. I saw I was rooting for you when you won that one. So, um, but not since then. Uh, Absolutely not. No, so, so Saratoga Springs is uh, it's the horse racing mecca. Really, it's it's uh, it's one of the horse racing meccas uh, in the U.S. It has one of the oldest flat tracks. Um, it's a beautiful place, and um, and it's been there now about oh god, 170, 180 years, something like. Wow. Uh, let's see. It was in. Well, no, the hundredth anniversary was the year after my book is set. That that was in. Um, 1963 so it was 1863 i don't know what the, whatever the math is it's, so wow. it's been there for that long and it's and it's a great place um uh really among the most prestigious and beautiful racetracks in the country along with like churchill downs you know that it's it's in that league so this and this uh, beautiful place called saratoga springs is is just 25 miles from the fictional town of new holland where ellie stone my character um, is a, a newspaper reporter in 1960, 61, 62. So uh, in, in uh, an effort to avoid having too many murders in that small town, I like to move Ellie around. And I think it's fair game to move her 25 miles down the road. It's country road, so it's, it's an easy drive. Um, sure. I grew up in a town that, is, that, that sits in the spot of New Holland, Amsterdam, you mentioned it, and that's about 20, 25 miles from Saratoga. And we would go every summer to the racetrack. It's only a, a four-week meet. I think it's five weeks now, but back then it was just the week. It was just August, the um, the uh, flat track. So, and it attracts people from all over the world, yeah. certainly from all over the United States, and uh, a lot of money and people pour into the town. So I thought this would be a great place to set a mystery. And I've also uh, one of the authors that really turned me on to crime fiction in the 80s and 90s was Dick Francis. And I oh, just yeah. loved his books, and I loved his amateur, you know, kind of amateur sleuths that were always a jockey of some kind. Uh, so I thought it would be fun to do. Uh, of course, that I woke up with um, nightmares as I was writing the book or as I submitted it, um, thinking, oh, my God, did I forget a Dick Francis plot and inadvertently use it in my <laughs> book. So I went, back, I went back and checked, and I said, oh, good, I'm okay. Um, I could find nothing that, that really looked like this plot. But so it's 19, it's August 1962. Um, Ellie Stone is um, back from her latest uh, adventure in Hollywood, where she had followed, a, 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 she had been sent from the newspaper to do a profile on a, on a local boy who had landed a, a, a role in a Hollywood movie. Um, and that was in February of that year. So this is her next uh, case. And it begins with uh, she she uh, monitors the police scanner and she hears about a fire um, on a, on the abandoned stud farm halfway between New Holland and uh, and um, Saratoga. So and this this stud farm is owned by the was owned by the industrialist who um, who had built the carpet mills in New New Holland 
in the previous century and then orphaned the town after the war by moving all of the carpet mills south where uh, cheap labor and non-union shops beckoned. So um, she, um, she, so it has a real rich uh, and important connection to the town where she's living as well as to Saratoga since he, this, this man bred, you know, great racehorses uh, through the, the, the 1900s, the tens, the twenties and, and, and thirties. Uh, so there's a burning barn on this uh, abandoned farm, and uh, I can tell the readers and listeners that there are no horses in the barn. So um, yeah, people can buy uh, no, no horses, no or dogs, or cats. That's true. Yeah, right, or dogs. Um, there is a backstory which is true, actually, or based on a true story, that in the uh, in the 30s there was a fire that killed several horses on the um, the farm that i based this on but that that doesn't happen in this story it's mentioned but it's not so so she arrives and there's a barn that's just burned down and and she's watching it takes pictures and thinks it's probably just some kids who started a fire you know uh, some vandalism that kind of thing um but once they've doused it and it's all cold uh she kind of pokes around and finds a what looks like a a bit of racing silk, uh, kind of white fabric with with some uh, orange and black uh, diamonds on it. And she gives it a tug from underneath all of the rubble. And uh, like a plank falls away and she realizes it's wrapped around the neck of a charred corpse. And in fact, there are two corpses inside the barn, uh, one man and one woman. And the man is quite short. So she thinks with the uh, silk, racing silk and his stature that this could be a jockey and uh, you know lo and behold uh, with her friend Fadge who is her best friend and her kind of guide he's the Watson to her uh, homes in, in all of these books and he's, he's a big guy who can protect her and you know and uh, he, he's also a, a tremendous gambler uh, and plays the horses and so he introduces her to the racetrack and sure enough there's a there's a jockey who's been scratched from all the races that day and he was he is riding for a for um, a stable that that uh, has black and orange diamonds in their livery. So um, that's not a long story short. That's a long story. But uh, so she <laughs> now believes she believes that 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 somehow she thinks that this jockey is the one who died. She wants to find out who the woman was with him, and she begins the investigation. And um, and you know a good time ensues for all. Good, good time with uh, a lot of danger. Um, I know you've been asked this question uh, dozens of times, but this might be the first chance uh, some of our listeners have had it, have uh, actually heard you be interviewed. So I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, why did you? And it's going to be a three-part question. Why did you choose a female protagonist, uh, put her in the early 1960s, and write her in first person? Mm-hmm. There's a question I haven't heard before. <laughs> but you know what, Matt? I deserve it because uh, I went into it with such uh, naivete, really, and thinking, well, of course this is a great idea and people will love the idea. And and I think people have come to enjoy Ellie as a character. Um, sure. It, it, um, it uh, wasn't a given at the beginning, I'll say. Um, and today there's a lot of talk about pro- cultural appropriation, and I, and I certainly understand that. But I can say that I just love the character. I love writing the character. It's fun. It's, uh, it's, it's a great exercise for me personally in, in kind of learning empathy and learning how half of the world's 
trying to learn how half the world's population ticks. Um, so, but so I got into it thinking um, I wanted to make um, a character, my sleuth. Um, first of all, I wanted I wanted my my detective to be a professional, not not a full fledged amateur. So, I thought newspaper reporter was a good a good thing to do. Then I wanted right. to make. I had the idea of making it extra hard for my detective, uh, for my sleuth. And, I, and the way to do that, I thought it just popped into my head was, what if it's a woman? And what if it's a woman living at a, in a time when, you know, women are still trying to fight their way into the, uh, into the workforce? I mean, into the man's world. And it's, I mean, we're still faced with that as we certainly are, we're very painfully aware even today. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, without going into too much detail, you know, we all hear the stories of women being shouted down in meetings, uh, talked over, discounted, you know, that's the best it gets. You know, the worst is the sexual harassment, the, you know, the, the downright, uh, you know, uh, bigotry against, uh, you know, women in, in the workplace, that kind of thing. So I thought, wouldn't it be great if, if, you know, it's hard enough to solve a murder, let's make it even harder for my character. And as a matter of fact, um, you know, I liken it to, you know, if someone's chasing you, you you tip over chairs to you know as obstacles as they're yeah. trying to to catch you or something. And so I like to tip over chairs in front of Ellie and make her job harder. And as a matter of fact, my wife um, on several occasions has has looked up at me as she reads and says, "Why are you so mean to Ellie?" <laughs> you know, and I give her I give her you know her cha- her fair share of challenges and and unfair situations like at work. Uh, where she's the smartest person at the newspaper, but she she doesn't get the credit she deserves. She has to work twice as hard to, to earn half the credit. Even from her editor, who's pretty supportive, um, he's still guilty of you know thinking, oh well, maybe you can do the um, some society page uh, pieces for us. You know, there's a garden party and you can cover that so well. So, um, but she really wants to cover the whatever the occasional murder that happens. So. So I think I've answered all three. Oh, first person, because, um, again, the naive say, I thought, you know, well, this will not be easy, but this will be really cool. And I think it has turned out to be cool to write in a first person voice of a, of a young female in 1960. I don't think I could do it today uh, if I had set these books today. It, it just, I don't think I would know enough about that. Um, but oh, I that's think funny. having one... You know, I think that the distance from here to 1960, we no, none of us is living that time today. So it's all through memory that everyone is thinking back if they were around and if they weren't, then, you know, then, you know, uh, it's, 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 it's something different for them as well. And so I, I do channel and I, I use a lot of especially research, you know, books, TV shows, movies from that era, songs, um, all kinds of things like that to, to find a voice uh, for Ellie. And um, and I think she has a pretty distinctive voice and it's, I don't believe it's a male voice. She's tough, no. but no. she's not, uh, but she's not, she might have what some people might say a few masculine qualities. Like she's, you know, if, if, if you're saying that women can't uh, be determined and, uh, and, and, and um, unintimidated to, to ask questions that's one of the things she is but I, I think that women can be that way and she certainly is she doesn't back down even when she's scared to death of the the rough guy in front of her but she you know still asks those tough questions so I thought that the first person I love writing the first person 
whether it's male or female, because I think every word you write gives gives you um, an insight into the character as well as you know what the character is describing. It's the way they describe people, the way they describe the world, and particularly in in crime fiction, I think the first person, if you've got a detective, works very well. Uh, and it, there's a long history, oh, I think, at, at least in this country. And you know, so and you you certainly know that from from your own book. Well, so, you know, I, there was a question I wanted to ask you that I forgot to write down, and your um, talking about voice reminded me of it. And it's it's not – I'm trying to attach a question to the end of this, but I just want to make note of some writing I really enjoyed in the book. Um, but it does deal with voice, and Ellie is um, – she's she's tough, but she's um, very intelligent and um, speaks well. But, I, there, but there's definitely some hard-boiled in her hard, that comes up every once in oh, a while, yeah. and I just want to read a couple lines – that I thought were really an example of that, and uh, I really enjoyed. Uh, she's in a, uh, I believe she's in a um, bar at the racetrack, and she's um, talking to a guy she's trying to get information with, from rather, who had just kind of stiffed her earlier. And so this is him speaking. Sorry about earlier, young lady, he began. You caught me at a bad moment. And this is her. Nothing a drink won't put right. He smiled, a mushy, unsavory smile. The kind that scares children. <laughs> that was really good. Yeah, and that is definitely hard-boiled. That is uh, a hard-boiled detective of uh, whatever era. Yeah, and I think that that also shows. That's exactly. Uh, it gets to the heart of what I like about first person. Is it shows you she could have just said he he was he had an unattractive or a mushy smile or something. But the adding of the kind that scares young children. Uh, I thought was funny and it shows her funny way of looking at the world and at people. And she's a very kind and good person too, but she, um, but if people don't deserve the kindness, like if they're, you know, not nice people or if they're, you know, uh, disrespecting her or something, she can really just tear them down with, with her wit. And, and, uh, Now here she didn't say that to him, but uh, no. yeah. And 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 you mentioned the drink, and and it, and it's true. You know we've talked about this at conferences, uh, writers' conferences, and I'm aware of it. And there's no way around it. You know the cliche of the hard drinking detective, and that's what Ellie is. Ellie is an alcoholic. There's no doubt. I mean she's a high functioning alcoholic, perhaps, but mm-hmm. and she also is, as she describes herself, a modern girl, uh, in quotes, and uh, that means what. I hope the readers realize it means. So she does drink, she smokes, and occasionally uh, she's not above ending up in bed with a man. So uh, that doesn't make her a bad person. She's a very moral person, but uh, she's just kind of liberated before before the women's liberation movement. Right, but in regards to the drinking, um, there, uh, you know, she gets hungover. So I mean, it's. Um it's it's realistic that way, and uh, of course we like our and not necessarily to say someone who drinks has flaws, but maybe somebody who drinks too much has flaws, and for there to be mm-hmm. repercussions to that, and for them to have to deal with it makes the character very real and very appealing to everybody. I think. Let me give the call in number um, in case someone has a question for you. Briefly, it's three four seven eight eight four eight two six six. If you got a question for Jim, call in three four seven eight eight four eight two six six. I want to ask you about it. I read the uh, article, really good article in uh, Mystery Scene. I think it's the most recent Mystery Scene magazine. Um, mm-hmm. The interview yeah. did a great job. And uh, I read something that uh, I hadn't even thought of. Because obviously you do a lot of research because you're researching in an earlier time. 
But you said that um, you get a lot of research out of old phone books. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. To, uh, uh, for example, uh, yeah. The the for this book, um, for, <laughs> I'm really glad I did some research into old phone books because I discovered that Saratoga, which really shocked me, in 1962 was was not yet on direct dial. Uh, whereas all the neighboring oh, counties wow. were, so you could you could dial the number yourself, um, you know, at that time, but not in Saratoga. You had to get an operator on the line and give the last one, two, three, four, five digits or whatever it was. You'd say Saratoga, whatever one, two, three, four, and they would connect you. Yeah. Um, so that was interesting uh, and just a minor detail. I didn't want to let it get too much into the in, in the way. Of the narrative, because I, I'm very fond of saying if we made things, and this is not just for historical type books, but uh, any book, if you make it too realistic, you're just going to bore your readers because real life is filled with boring details. Sure, uh, exactly. Like like trying to find a parking spot. You know, it, it's just it, you never have that problem in the book unless you make light of it and just you describe it in retrospect. But imagine a chapter about finding a parking spot would be pretty pretty boring, I would think. But um, the uh, I also used the the phone book to uh, for other things, yellow pages, to see what mm-hmm. businesses were around at that time, like uh, car rentals, dry cleaners, uh, uh, cold storage for birds, that kind of thing. Uh, the, it just presents so many interesting ideas that then you can insert into your story. TV repair shops that were obviously very common back then. Um, but in the um, the previous book, Chaps the First Stone, the one set in Hollywood. Um, Which is nominated used, for uh, uh, an Anthony and a McCavity, right? It's nominated this year for the Anthony and the McCavity. That's yes. true. And you have your you have a short story, and you're up for a Seamus as well. For uh, that's exactly for, why I brought for, yours up. Thank you. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, so, anyway, in that book, uh, I used the uh, a Los Angeles uh, phone directory from 1961, 60, and another one from 62 uh, to great effect because I found. Uh, the hotel where Ellie stays, which is no longer yeah. there, it was called the, the McCadden Hotel, and it was just off Hollywood Boulevard. And I said, well, it's no longer there, and it hasn't been there for a long time, so I can basically, you know, it wasn't a famous hotel. I can describe it any way I want. But I had the address. I even had the phone number for it. I didn't use it yeah. uh, because our, our publishers don't like us to do that. But, yeah. um, but also the name of some characters. You know, phone books give you great names, too. So... I used. Um, I looked up my my address uh, of my house in in, in Hollywood. Uh, we've moved to Seattle, but we've kept our house in in the Hollywood Hills. And it's um, and I just was curious, and I looked to see who was living there, and it was somebody named John L. Millard at the time uh, in 1962, at the time of my book. So I made him the cop in my in in that book. He's the police sergeant that Ellie deals with, um, and uh, I hope I don't. Uh, I don't uh, put myself in legal jeopardy by doing such a thing, but it's not. I mean, I never <laughs> met the man. I just used his name. But so Wait, I really use phone books. It's a great, it's a great, a great resource. Well, for people who are writing um, um, in your in, in the historical, how do they find? How do you find old phone books? Well, the Los Angeles one I found online, and it's um, there's a great collection that has been digitized, and and you can search. Uh, oh. I, I found other hotels, not just the one Ellie was in. I found the address of, I think, the Writers Guild, uh, which I needed. Um, they're, they're just those um, 
I, I mean, I think if you just were to look up Los Angeles phone directory 1960 or historic directories, uh, phone directories, you it would come up. Um, I've got the link somewhere. I've kept it, but I don't need it anymore unless I move Ellie to Los Angeles. But, you know, but uh, otherwise, I mean, for the Saratoga, I went to Saratoga Springs and I went to the library, the public library, and, and I spent a lot of time there and at the racing museum doing uh in saratoga doing research the the um national uh, the the uh, there's the uh, the uh, famous uh, museum there in saratoga but also the um the library in albany i i did a lot of work looking at um um historical documents and and newspapers and and city guides on uh, microfiche so and mm-hmm. also phone books so like even the albany phone book because there there are some scenes in in this book in albany because they were just uh, and you remember where we had the conference in albany that used to be uh the thriving uh, neighborhood of of uh, the south uh, you know uh, albany and mm-hmm. um and it was all torn down in 1963 64 and built into all of that by uh, Governor Rockefeller, who was embarrassed, like, apparently, when the Queen of the Netherlands came to visit Albany, that he called it a slum. So they, they <laughs> tore down this really thriving neighborhood and, and built this monstrosity of uh, of an egg. I mean, well, the egg serves a purpose, I suppose, but um, the, and the rest are all government offices. And uh, and, and the museum is right there, too. Uh, not the museum, the uh the uh, library, the, the state library is right there. Um, so um, that's in the book. And Ellie, being a photographer as well as a newspaper reporter, she it's a small newspaper, so she sometimes has to take her own photos. Uh-huh. She did a little photo essay of, of the uh, of the doomed businesses because they all knew they, that the wrecking ball was coming, with, and they had already, in fact, started raising the buildings, but. Uh, uh, but she she knew, and so she thought it would be nice to document these old uh, shoe shops and pizzerias and 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 things like that. So she takes some pictures of that one day in Albany in the book. I don't know if it's essential to the plot, but she had to meet somebody at the at the train station in Albany, and so she that was in the same neighborhood. Yeah, well, I think that I mean, obviously, you want to have everything for momentum of the story. But I think when you have little sides like that that don't slow the story down, you're giving it, um, giving giving it your book some accuracy, and it makes people feel like you know they're there. So I think it's very well done. Yeah, um, you kind and, of touched on. Sorry, Matt. Uh, no. I would just add too that that I have to make it believable that she's a newspaper reporter too. So. Right. Occasionally she'll describe, oh, she has to write a story on the potholes in her city or the city yeah. council meeting. And obviously I don't want to go into great detail because that's really dull. But but I want people to say, oh, yeah, she works for a little newspaper. I mean, for a newspaper, it's an important newspaper, but in a small town. So, yeah, those, those kind of things. But you have to, you know, do it judiciously and with with a feeling that with with a, you know, that feels real without being so real that again that it bores the reader yeah and, and uh like i said i think it's well done um so well, you do uh, the same thing with well, with rick uh following adulterers and you know taking photographs through windows or whatever right i mean he's got to do that to survive not everything is a cool murder right. uh investigation yeah i actually do that as a hobby so i don't even make any money out of it yeah but, um so um you, and in talking about your research, 
it made me think about your the writing process because I you know I just make shit up in the words of Robert Grace. Um, but mm-hmm. you have to you have to do your research for the time period you want to be in for the city you want to be in if it's not um, in the city you've made up. So do you start with how does it work for you? How do how do you approach the next say book? I know you're working on book seven, but say book eight. What where do you start for um, Ellie? How does it all happen? I do start with the location um, because that suggests a lot, you know. I mean, I know you're working in La Jolla and San Diego in your books and mostly, and, you know, and that I get, but that's also a big city that, that's a good area with lots of stories. Um, I've got her in this, this dying mill town where, you know, not much is really going to happen. I've already, I managed to squeeze two murders into that town and I can't do, I don't want to do more because I don't think it's believable. So, uh, so I do like to start with a location, and um, that, that's what prompted, uh, for example, um, the Adirondacks in Heart of Stone, um, which was yeah. the fourth book in the series. I wanted to get, it was a summer vacation, but it's, you know, on a, on a beautiful Adirondack lake, but two men fall to their death in a diving, what appears to be a diving accident. By the way, I kill more men than women in my books. <laughs> I just like to do that. <laughs> Um, I try to be. I'm and so, uh, keep it pretty even. Yeah. Yeah. And you have a higher body count than I do, though. I, but, uh, <laughs> I try to keep it down. But, yeah, yeah. Or, no, yours isn't that high, right? Not too high. You're not as high as, as, as some, but uh, as many, I mean, I should say. But uh, so, so I looked for the location. The Hollywood one was I just loved doing because I lived in Hollywood for 18 years. And, um, and it's felt like my neighborhood and all the research was a lot of fun and also there, there's so many great stories you can place in Hollywood with all with the actors and 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 producers and things like that which you know was certainly interesting then and maybe horrifying and just as it is today and so then um, this, this Saratoga I thought presented a great opportunity to, to in a very nearby location to, to, to create great atmosphere um, books seven is going to be set in, in Florence, Italy, because if you read the first book in my series, you know that Ellie's father was a distinguished uh, uh, a professor of Italian literature and Dante. And so I thought, wouldn't it be cool if he got a posthumous, a posthumous award and she gets invited over to Florence to accept it? And I can do kind of a locked door or, you know, a locked villa mystery. Um, and that'll be a lot of fun. So that's the that's number six, and um, and then number seven. I, I haven't decided which one it is, but I've got different ideas. And you know, always I start with that location, with kind of a mood, and then you start thinking about characters. And you, I like to get that that kind of the the, the one clue that solves it all that is really clever unfortunately it's not always as clever as i would like it to be but you know if you can start with that and then work backwards in your plotting uh that works that's what i aim to do at least um and you know what i mean it's that one hook that ellie gets you know she captures she she nabs the bad guy because she doesn't have dna testing to rely on she doesn't have security cameras she has her own camera but you know that doesn't really help unless she's present and she has maybe fingerprints and, um, you know, the rest is all, you know, uh, it's, it's just her smarts and just hard work. So, so I do like to start with a place and then with a mood and, uh, 
and kind of a theme. If I can put in a social theme from the 60s, that, that helps shape the stories as well. Uh, for example, I've got, I'm definitely going to do one um, about the civil rights movement, uh, about not about the Kennedy assassination, but um, I want to set one of the books, um, The Crime Happens on the Same Day that Kennedy is, is assassinated, and therefore it kind of gets lost in the shuffle, and so it becomes a cold case two or three years later. And, and so I, I, I thought that was an interesting way to approach that date that I didn't want to deal with. Uh, November 22nd, 1963, because I didn't want to write a book. I don't want to write a book about national grief and just uh, that just, I mean, I, I just don't want to write 300 pages about people weeping about about uh, Kennedy being assassinated, you know. Um, yeah. So I do, uh, exactly as you said. I like to start with the place and then with the mood and then the characters. Well, it sounds like let's see. Uh, you, you're actually you, you mentioned said six was Italy, but I think it's actually going to be seven, right? So then oh, seven, you just mentioned sure, sure. you mentioned the civil rights and you mentioned Kennedy assassination. So we're we're getting towards uh, ten. Do you have a uh, an arc, a character overall character arc mapped out for Ellie? And do you have sort of a? Are you just going to write her and, until you don't want to write her anymore? I, I could I could lie and say yeah I know where it ends but it, it probably would end with her at 80 years old sitting uh, enjoying a drink um, with some maybe a younger boyfriend uh, there you go. and still working but but I don't have the exact details of the end of the arc I certainly know it, it takes her through the 60s um, it might be interesting someday to write Ellie as an older woman I mean Ellie would be uh, 81. Uh, years old today um, she was born in 37 in June and so she would have just turned uh, 81 so think about that yeah well you got decades decades to deal with yeah but I only have a few titles left I only have about <laughs> six six good titles and then I got to you know kind of improvise a little and they won't they wouldn't be as good I mean I could always do something like the great stone face, but you know, that that's not, these titles should be common expressions with the word stone. So, yeah. Um, but I still have think like a stone etched in stone, um, maybe even stone cold sober since, you know, I've thought about it, but I've done stone cold go. dead, um, already. And it's kind of close, but still it's a legitimate, uh, expression. Um, and you know, I've got uh, blood from a stone, two birds with one stone. So I do have several left. Um, but at a certain point, I don't want to do like I don't want to do um, one set in Woodstock and call it Stone. Damn it! You <laughs> or just told my joke. Must get stoned. Right. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, yeah. There's a lot more out there. There's a nice one you uh, when you start a series and you pick uh, a title that the publisher wants to kind of uh, take to the nth degree because all my titles are two words and uh, it does get difficult. But uh, you definitely yeah, and you, but, but I wanted to ask you: Do you do you get the final word on your titles? Are these your titles, or have they changed some of yours? Uh, they've all been mine, but they haven't been mine from the get-go necessarily. I'll uh -huh. just tell a brief story. Um, the first, they generally they generally come um, organically from the work. There's so, so, there's usually a yeah. line that yeah, that, blood uh, certainly. Makes yeah, blood truth. I mean, geez, I, I beat now. I beat blood to death in that book, but um, it worked anyway, yeah. I think. But so for the second book, 
I was, and the, the titles never come, although the book I'm, I'm writing now, book six, actually, I already have a title. I'm only, uh, well, I won't say how far I am because my publisher might be listening, but I'm not done with it yet, first draft. But anyway, um, mm-hmm. for the second book, I have no title. I, I, I'm like, I'm turning it in and I go, well, I'm, I'll use this. And I had the whole time I'm writing the book, I'm thinking, I have to come up with the title, I have to come up with the title, I got nothing. So I sent it in, whatever title it was at the time, I can't remember. I sent it in. My publishers go, oh, yeah, great. We like the book. Um, this title stinks. We need a new title. And uh, I said, when do you need it? I've been trying for a year to get you one. And they said, well, we need it in a week or whatever it was. And uh, and if, as soon as she said that, I had the title within less than five minutes. And it ended up being um, Night Tremors, which worked for – it worked, It sort of came yeah, out Night of the book organically was, again. But uh, titles are tough. Book, but, by the way. Oh, thanks, man. Um, yeah, but book. I have so far, I've been lucky enough to be able to – well, they kind of put it on me. They may tell me they're not good enough and come up with something else, but yeah, I have to come up with the title. Um, you know, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, no. Uh, well, I, I wanted to ask you this because uh, you've, you've written five books and um, the number six. of nominations <laughs> and awards, six books, right, sorry. I'm thinking of the uh, ones that have already been nominated for awards. And um, you were nominated for an Edgar, four Anthonys, one of which you won. Two McCavities, one win. Three lefties and a berry. And those are incredible numbers for like the first five books out of the um, out of the shoot. And I was wondering, how do you think it's affected your career? And it has it affected your own expectations when you're writing that next book? Um, you know, people say that that uh, first of all. Every time, it, it, you know, too, you've been nominated for, for the Seamus, for the Anthony, for the Lefty, for, and I'm missing one, I'm sure. Don't worry about um, The McCavity. Yeah. And Thank it's you. a thrill every time. I mean, because you, you can never say, oh, and even if you don't win, you know, well, we can curse Louise Penny, but she's such a sweet, beautiful right. person. That, you know, or it's like, Kent Kruger. It's hard, it's hard to be, begrudge her, yeah. Or, or Kent Kruger, yeah. Um, and, uh, and you and I were nominated uh, with Kent and Louise in, right. for the lefty this year. And, uh, and yeah. Kent won. I, I hate them um, all, but anyway. Yeah, yeah. No matter how nice they are, right? Yeah. But, uh, but no, but it's like, you know, I'm not going to sit around and complain, oh, I didn't win this one, I didn't win that one. I mean, it's like because there's so many great books out there and, and, and only so many get nominated. And, and, and I'm always shocked because i think you know how are the numbers out there and and who are the people voting you know or nominating and so i'm i'm just absolutely amazingly honored and and humbled by it but at the same time i think it has helped uh, my career in the sense that it, it it you know um people notice you at least in our industry notice you a little bit more i don't mm-hmm. believe awards or award nominations necessarily translate into sales Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, maybe the Edgar, but I, I don't even think so. I mean, people, um, I think that that's more a function of publicity and, of, um, you know, buzz that can be generated about a book. And, and it's all a mystery to me, as I'm sure it is to you and to every, you know, all of our uh, fellow writers out there and our friends who are doing this. It's, a, a, you know, I am thrilled when I get nominated and I'm thrilled to be up this year for the McCavity and the Anthony. Um, and, um, you know, and if I, if, if I were lucky enough to win, I'd be even more thrilled, but if I don't, I'm, I'll be thrilled for whoever the person is who wins, unless it's you, 
Um, yeah, that, we're not competing in this good. Yeah. So you can root for me. That's true. We're not. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I was thinking in terms of not necessarily. Um, oh, by the way, we. <laughs> um, Baron R. Bircher, who's a great um, friend of the show, and it was yeah. on the show about a month ago. He he sent me an instant message in terms of titles: "Stone Cold Fever" uh, by Humble Pie in the not early seventies for a title. So yeah, or I don't know if you had that one anymore. I've already but, done um, Heart, "Heart of Stone," or I could have done "Hearts of Stone" by uh, Southside Johnny and the Ashbury Jukes, but but uh, it, I've already done "Heart of Stone." But yeah, and by the way. You know, I've got them somewhere on my uh, iTunes, and it comes up now and then. And it's just like, wow, they they were good, Southside Johnny. Yeah, I remember Southside Johnny. I am old enough. Yeah. All right, so uh, yeah. time is running down. Uh, this actually, the studio is going to kick me out in four minutes. Um, but I wanted to ask you. This is kind of a. Sometimes you get asked this question. You think it's stupid, but I'm going to ask it anyway. What do you like most about being a mystery author, and what do you like least? Um, I love it. I love being a mystery writer because when I tell people I write mysteries, I, you know, nine out of 10 say, Oh, you know, I love mysteries. I love reading them. Um, occasionally. And also because I love reading them and I think it's the best genre there is, but, um, I agree. Um, occasionally you do, you do run into people who say, Oh, I don't read that. And you wonder, well, you know, you, you <laughs> could just say, Oh, that's very nice. Instead of telling me, well, I, I don't read that kind of thing. And that, that would have been fine too. Uh, and then there are those, you know, if, but people say, well, I won't read them or I don't respect them. It's, I, I, I've been trying to find a good analogy uh, to, to debunk that whole idea. And the best, well, one thing that I've kind of settled on recently is it's as if you, you were to say, I love poetry, but I hate fucking sonnets. I won't read a sonnet, you know? It just doesn't make sense. It, it, is, a, it is a delivery method if you will of a story what we do in 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 our genre our genre is that delivery there's good writing there's bad writing there's mediocre writing average writing and that's true in literary uh, fiction it's true in um you know romance it's true in science fiction and fantasy so uh i like good writing and i and i love um i think i love the structure of you know setting things right again that, that that is kind of built into the theme of most crime novels mm-hmm. not all because sometimes mm-hmm. the bad guy gets away with it but uh, but yep. even that that can be that can be interesting you know and that can be compelling and all right so I, I told you what i love and what i hate yeah there you go you nailed it um so where can people find you on social media if you want them to? uh well i'm i'm on um my website is james w ziskin com and I put the W in there. It's my middle initial because um, just in case some James Ziskin somewhere gets arrested for some crime that I don't want to be associated with, and there is, and, and he's in no way associated with any crime. But just to give you an example, there is another James Ziskin in Los Angeles. So oh, uh, when wow. I was living there, there were two of us. So and and Ziskin is. You know, it might seem to be not a very common name, but there, there. If in any big city in this country, you'll find six or seven. Uh, so it, it's not that rare, I guess. But uh, uh, so dot com. Also on Facebook, if you just look up James Ziskin, you'll find me. Um, I've got some kind of a strange um, stalker in somewhere in the in Jeez. the backwaters of India, who Whoa. who goes by Ziskin James on Facebook, Whoa. and he doesn't look like a Ziskin or a James. 
Um, I don't know. I, now, at first I was alarmed. Now I'm kind of flattered. It's been several <laughs> years and he doesn't post anymore. But it's, look it up. Ziskin James on, on Facebook. I'll, I'll check his rap sheet. Well, the yeah. uh, lady in my and, ear uh, is about to push us then, off the air. Okay. Yeah. I, um, but I want to thank you for coming on. Uh, I really enjoyed it. And I'll look forward to seeing you in, um, yeah, where the hell's the next St. one? Petersburg, right? In Petersburg, Petersburg, yeah, during the uh, hurricane season. Oh, no, season. but I'll see you in, in July, hopefully, That's in right. San Diego. Uh, Mysterious Galaxy. All right, thanks and, a lot. Uh, but I'm James. not going to vote for you. Not going to vote for you for the Anthony or the... Uh, no, I well, I'm not up for the Anthony, so uh, <laughs> you just screwed yourself. For the McCavity. You know. I, I can vote for you for the McCavity. Thank you very well, much, please, Matt. This is great. Please do. Thank you, man. I will. This, this is a copyrighted podcast solely owned by the authors on the Air Global Radio Network.